Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Straight ahead on The Insiders, he wants his old job back, and he's here today to make his case about why you should give it to him. Former Iowa Congressman David Young talks about his 2018 loss, his 2020 hope, and the challenger he'd have to stop to get the chance next year to get his job back. Plus, we are on the road with two Democrats who want to stop President Donald Trump from flying into a second term. The two B's here, two of the B's, Bullock and Booker, on why they say they are uniquely qualified to win the Democratic nomination. And in the Insider's Quick Six, some people read to relax, to clear their heads. We'll ask what one candidate did before his big announcement. Hello, thanks for being with us. David Young worked for decades in D.C. for Senator Chuck Grassley. Then he eventually won that five-way Republican primary and later became a member of Congress himself. He served Iowa's third congressional district for two terms. In 2018, as Democrats enjoyed that blue wave of success in Congress, David Young lost his job. Next year, he wants you to help him get it back. And he joins us. He's back as a candidate. Welcome back. It's nice to see you, David. Hey, can you give us a little background on how this all went down? The one thing I thought was interesting is the day Zach Nunn announced his listening tour, you announced you're running again. Coincidence? Uh, coincidence. I mean, I had this um, decision made in the middle of April, and so we'd always planned on that date. And the week before, I did sit down with Zach Nunn. He's a friend and just said, I'm going to do this. And so we're off and running, and um, I'm asking for the people's vote uh, to serve them again here in the 3rd District. Uh, you're sort of... I know incumbent's not the right word, but you sort of are because you had the job. So explain how this is going to work with Zach running and you running. Now, was there sort of, was there a conversation going on all along? Was there a gentleman's agreement from him that he'd wait for you to announce? Well, there was a lot of names that were, that were out sure. there. And so, but right now, I'm, you know, I'm primarily the only one in the race. And so my focus is on Cindy Axney and uh, making sure that she doesn't um, serve us again, to right. be quite blunt. Uh, so... How did you decide, I want to do this again, and why? Well, I mean, the election last fall was just so close. I mean, um, Cindy was the only one in the country who won with less than 50% of the vote. We won 15 of 16 counties. There was a blue wave. People don't like to talk about it, but there was one. It took out 40 members of Congress. And this is a district that is purple. It'll probably always be purple, and it's worth fighting for. And right now, what is going on in Washington, D.C., with all the dysfunction, uh, Cindy Axney has a record now. And it's not a very good one. One of the first things that the Democrats did in the House of Representatives is pass a bill to make sure that your taxpayer dollars, Dave, paid for her political campaign. I don't think that's why Iowa sent Cindy Axney or any other Democrats Explain that. to Congress. Explain what you mean by that. Well, the bill HR1, it was an election and reform bill, and it took uh, taxpayer dollars and it allowed a matching to pay for political campaigns. And so I don't think uh, people should be subsidizing the beliefs of others, uh, contrary to their opinion, with their tax dollars. People expect their tax dollars to be used uh, for really essential services for them, for, to benefit themselves. 
Uh, you're kind of a thinker, a processor, probably going back to your staffer days as you kind of sat in there and laid things out. As you sort of look back at 18, you talked about Democrats had that blue wave. Yeah. What caused that? Was that a failure of your party? Is that a reflection of the president? Is that a failure of you? What is it? Well, I think a lot of uh, Republicans were very complacent. I mean, you had the White House, you had both chambers of Congress in Washington, D.C., chambers, and uh, as well as at the legislature here in Iowa and the governor's mansion. And I think a lot of Republicans were just saying, hey, we've got it, kind of fat and happy and twiddling their thumbs maybe. Uh, but, you know, it can be taken away just like that. And the Democrats were very, very motivated. Uh, there was a blue wave. And just traditionally with the history of, of midterms, the party of the president generally loses votes. Um, there was a high voter turnout on the Democrat side. Republican turnout was not quite as high. So there's a lot of room to grow there. Um, and so we're right back at it, and it's worth fighting for. And the things that are going on right now, when you're talking about socialism, which is not a dirty word right now on the other side, both in Congress and with the presidential candidates, uh, I'm not about to let this country go that way. Uh, another word that has come up from one of your former colleagues, Justin Amash of Michigan, is impeachment. So he kind of got out there. You've got these Democratic presidential candidates talking about impeachment of the president, but Congressman Amash is saying that he thinks those proceedings should go forward. What do you make of that? Well, I'll make, let him make his own case for that. But I know that uh, the other day, Robert Mueller had this very interesting press conference. I'm not sure what the function of it was for, if he just wanted to have the last word. Uh, but right now, this goes, this is all up to Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, and Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And we know that in the Mueller report, there was no collusion. They didn't find obstruction of justice. Uh, but uh, there are about five or six committees right now in the House who are just focusing on uh, impeachment proceedings, it seems like, and it seems to be going that way, and I don't think that's why the American people uh, voted for a Democrat Congress. If you can flip everything here, though, if you were a Democratic member of Congress and you were looking at this, wouldn't you look at impeachment? Uh, I would, first of all, I wouldn't be a Democrat member of Congress, so that's a real <laughs> hypothetical, Dave. Uh, but, but I would be cognizant of why I was elected, and what the expectations are of the people who elected me and focus on those issues of health care, the economy, immigration, things like that that affect our daily lives. Uh, it is, as we look at the president's relationship with Vladimir Putin, speaking of the Mueller report here, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way you read this, Putin directly, or at least his subordinates, his cronies, whoever it was, they interfered with our election. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that's in across the board. Republicans and Democrats realized that so they So why is the president effort. friends with Vladimir Putin? Well, I think the president should be tougher on Putin. Uh, he'd probably, you would have to ask the president that. He may be coming to Iowa soon. Um, but I think we need to be tougher on Russia, tougher on Putin, uh, and be cognizant that they do want to infiltrate our elections, and they do want to try to uh, change people's mind, minds through their propaganda. Well, and how do we, we know somebody didn't mess with your election? Well, we know that for, with the Secretary of State's office that nobody got in and changed any vote totals. So do you, do you feel good, both in Iowa and across the country? Are we safe here? I think we're, we, we are on guard uh, at a hyper level about uh, what could be coming our way with elections. And I think we just need, you know, on TV when you have, and radio, when you have the, the commercials, you get the full disclosure about who paid for the ads. I think we need to transfer that to the Internet when you see those Internet ads about who's putting those those ads up and paying for them. Uh, the better disclosure, the better. That transparency is very, very important because people want to know where that message is coming from. You have a lot of uh, close people in your lives who are tied in your life, who are tied into the ag community, right? Uh, what is your sense of what this trade war 
coupled with emergency after emergency with weather disaster here, plus the commodity challenges already, where are where do you think the ag community is right now? Well, the ag community, they've just got so much grit and determination, and whatever comes their way, they find a way to make it work. And so even with what's going on right now, low commodity prices, high inputs, the weather right now, just trying to get it into the field, and then the trade issue. Uh, when I talk to farmers, producers, they say China needs to be dealt with in a hard, hard way, and this may be our best opportunity. It may take a little bit of pain for long-term gain. Uh, they don't necessarily like tariffs. They want markets. Some aid is coming to help them. They don't necessarily want it, but they need it. Uh, but we need to take it to China. They're bad actors, and uh, in the end, I think it's going to be better. How, what's your internal clock on this? How much, how much of this pain that you mentioned can folks stomach before it either hurts them too much and they can't go on or they got to get out of the business or whatever it is? Well, you just you really keep your ear to the ground and talk to the community, the rural communities and farmers. And so some respite that is coming, though, however, you know, can be even with what's going on with China, the USMCA trade agreement that needs to get done. I'm thankful that the president's taking the tariffs off of aluminum and steel with Canada and Mexico. That'll be helpful. But in the meantime... And that was something Senator Grassley pushed for, right? Uh, Senator Grassley pushed for, I pushed for it, uh, a lot of people did, to, to say, hey, you've wrapped it up, take the tariffs off. Let's get this going. And then we need to be looking at other tr uh, trading opportunities as well. You know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was something that the president didn't like, but we need to re reach out to those countries and start trade agreements with there and those dialogues. How do you process now that we've had a couple of years of the 2017 tax cuts that have kicked in. So I just read this piece in the LA Times about, when you look at it, incomes haven't really gone up that much. The, the national debt has skyrocketed. We've seen a lot of buybacks, stock buybacks and such with these big companies. So are, are the general folks, the regular folks, are they really getting the bang for this buck? The people that I'm talking to are small business owners, uh, individuals, families. Um, it's just important to remember what is happening with the economy right now. I don't think we would be there right now with this great economy if it wasn't for the tax relief. I just fundamentally believe, Dave, that people who work hard should keep more of their money. Uh, and we're seeing revenues increase uh, as with, with the tax relief because you grow the economy, you create more taxpayers, more workers, they're paying in more. But the key is to make sure that when that revenue comes in, you use it to drive down the debt. But the debt's going crazy. Yeah. So and, and some folks had said, I don't recall if you ever said this, but that the tax cut would pay for itself. That is, there's, that hasn't been anywhere near. Over time, it, it, it will. But we have to get a control on spending. You know, I was on the Appropriations Committee, but I didn't vote for every appropriations bill. I mean, there are many, many that I didn't vote for because you can be fiscal conservative and be on that committee, much to the chagrin of the chairman of the committee or the speaker of the House. But you got to reflect Iowa values. I hate debt. Iowans hate debt. Uh, the big picture is that the spending is about 70 to 75 to 80 percent given any year is mandatory spending. And we have to address that in a responsible way that keeps promises to seniors and those on Medicare. But when do you think that's going to happen? Your party had control there for the first half of the president's first term, and we saw the debt go up as fast as we did. So is there, is there that appetite, that priority that you're talking about? I've got the appetite. Uh, both sides are complicit in this. They are. And you have to make sure that I think the only way you get to this is a balanced budget amendment, which I have voted for. Uh, 49 states by state statute or state constitutional amendment uh, have balanced budgets. All right. If you'll hang on here uh, for the quick six. I'll hang on, Dave. <laughs> uh, start thinking about where you're going to be on June 11th. That's your hint, by okay. the way. Okay. Uh, but first here, we're going to go on the road. Steve Bullock will explain what type of voter wanted him to be the Democratic governor of Montana. 
and Donald Trump to be the Republican president of the United States and why he thinks this will help him become the next president. Hear him lay this out next. Here's our road trip. It's our view thanks to Montana troopers. They drove governor-turned-presidential candidate Steve Bullock as we headed down I-35 from Ames to Des Moines. Bullock's campaign pitch to Iowans is this. He is a blue governor who won in a red state. So I asked him, who are these people who voted for him as governor as a Democrat and Donald Trump, the Republican, for president? Well, and that's what's interesting, Dave. I mean, 25 to 30 percent of my voters also voted for Donald Trump. And I think that the male or the female, the man or the woman that voted for me thought that they didn't agree with everything necessarily that I pushed, but they thought that I'd fight to try to improve their lives, meaning economically to give them and their families better opportunities for better jobs, for health care, for more effective gov government. I also would show up, you know, the most basic thing, and Democrats aren't always going to places where it's hard to win anymore, and if we don't show up, if we don't give them reason to vote, they won't. So. I often frame it in Montana, there's great equalizers. Public lands is one of our great equalizers. I recognize you have less than in Iowa. Public education is one of our great equalizers. Public participation in our representative democracy, meaning we're all equal on election day, is one of the great equalizers. So I talk more about the values that we share than what divides us, and I think that that's where folks were frustrated in Washington, D.C., so that's why they voted for Trump and said, let's blow the thing up. Let's drain the swamp. But I think that they thought that I would be fighting for the best interests. So do you think is it is it more an individual issue thing or is it kind of a vision thing? What's what do you think the connection was? Well, I, I, I think I imagine the connection was first, he's a guy that I could have a cup of coffee with. He's not that much different than my life. He understands my life and that he'll do his best even if I disagree with him on some of his things. Uh, one of the things at this event here in Ames that came up was student debt. You were talking about in your remarks that you're obviously a little too familiar with student yeah. debt. What was your total that you had? In today's terms, $175,000. And did your wife as well or not? Or was she no, my wife, she married a liability to tell you the truth. Never forget when my mother-in-law goes, you have how much? You know, before we were married, student sure. debt. But yeah, no, it took us a good number of years to pay that off. It impacted the decisions that I could make, for sure. So, obviously, there are some on your side, uh, Elizabeth Warren in particular, who's talked about just wiping out debt. How do you as a party sell that idea to people? Look, there's a great diversity of opinions in this party, and we all certainly agree that people shouldn't be priced out of higher education, or you shouldn't say, I'm not even gonna consider it because of the costs. Um, like I haven't turned around and said, let's wipe out all student loans. Uh, I did do things like I made the first two college classes a high school student takes free. And that's not for the kid that was always going to go to college, it's for the person that never thought that he or she might be college material. In Montana, we've taken state dollars, you know, I've frozen college tuition six of my eight years. I've invested dollars into higher ed to make it more affordable. I think at the federal level, you could do a lot more with access with Pell and Stafford 
loans, and the federal government controls about 80% of the overall loans. But most of that's really looking ahead to the future, right? So for those who are already out of school and paying a ton like you did, like I did, yeah, like a lot yeah. of people did, where's the, is there anything realistic you think that can give them relief? I think that you could lower the interest rate payments that you have since the federal government controls about 80% of the debt. And if you're wondering there in the way back, that third seat right behind me, that was another one of the Montana troopers. And the guy who was sort of in that position who had to keep looking at the governor, that's Jerry Bu uh, Jeremy Bush, one of Steve Bullock's Iowa staffers who had to just keep sitting there as the camera was on him. All right, so that was one of our road trips. Here's another one. Coming up, we sit down with Cory Booker on how he says he will take on President Trump in a different way here. That was Cory Booker's ride for his recent trip through Iowa. We joined him for part of the trip as we headed northeast on Highway 330 to 30 as we went from Des Moines to Marshalltown. It was kind of a bumpy ride, which you'll notice from the video here, and that is no reflection of our driver, by the way. Now, on this trip, Booker told me about how he is trying to position himself before Iowa voters with a different view than President Trump has, and he started with this story. There's a line I talk about in a story I tell um, about a, the guy that changed my, my family's destiny. And one man who stood up and organized the sting operation to let my family uh, move into Harrington Park, New Jersey, the town I grew up in 1969. And I went back for my book and did research, and I actually found out the, the moment he made the decision, he was watching a movie. And when I tell the audience what the movie was, you get this, and I never would expect it in a speech, but you get this audible, oh, uh, and the movie was Judgment, and I don't even need to finish it. I say Judgment, at, and everybody goes Nuremberg. And it's this powerful moment where I miss that about our culture. Was what we, TV used to be a unifying force. Everybody watched last episode of MASH. Everybody watched Roots. Everybody watched Judgment at Nuremberg. And it was that, that was kind of part of our cultural glue. Now, on any night in America, we're so fractured. Some people are watching Fox or MSNBC. Some people are watching you know, DuckTales, some people are watching, you know, uh, a classic, uh, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. And, and, and I worry sometimes that that cultural glue is, was really good for us. It helped us to create bridges between tribalism, which is what we're, I feel we're descending to now more and more, which is fear-based, us versus them, zero-sum game politics, as opposed to what I aspire to try to generate in our country, which is this idea of a beloved community, where we are different, you know, uh, but we have recognized that the lines that divide us aren't as strong as the ties that bind us. Our second road trip of the week. All right, coming up, our nation's immigration system was founded in part as a policy of reuniting families, but changing times can mean changing priorities for some. So coming up, a national group releases its plan for a point-based immigration system. They released this in Des Moines. We'll show you how this could work in their mind and how it would be different from what the president's talked about. As a result of our broken rules, the annual green card flow is mostly low-wage and low-skilled. Two weeks ago, the president released his immigration reform plan. He says that system needs to change its focus from reuniting families to instead attracting high-skill workers when it comes to immigration policy here. Now, a national political advocacy group pitched its own immigration reform plan in Des Moines. The Concord Coalition's plan focuses on one goal here, and that's to grow the nation's economy. And it says that begins with recognizing which type of workers would actually be needed. 
everyone agrees that we should be trying to attract, they call the best and brightest from around the world. So there should definitely be a place for that. However, if you look at the economy as it stands, the labor shortages that we're experiencing are in the, um, the low-skilled sector more than the high-skilled sector. So how do you recognize both the low-skill workers you need and the high-skill workers you want? Well, the Concord Coalition proposes a point system here. Visa applicants would be scored based on their English proficiency, education experience, and age first. They could also then earn us what they can earn what they consider bonus points. That's if they have family already in the U.S. or by continuing their education here, maybe starting a business. The group says one of the key components of this plan would be flexibility to meet the needs of a changing economy. Right now, the economy of Iowa is not going to look the same as it will in 30 years. And it definitely does not look the same as it did 30 years ago. So I think that needs to be a part of the immigration system. We need to recognize that the economy is changing and evolving, and workers, um, the workers demanded are going to be different over time. Concord Coalition did not address illegal immigration in the U.S. or the Dreamers, those undocumented immigrants who came into the country as children. Coming up next, Beto O'Rourke, as you'll remember, let us watch him at the dentist with that video before he announced his run for president. So what did David Young do during his decision time period before he decided to run for Congress again? It's all part of the Insider's Quick Six next. Congressman Young is back for the Quick Six here. Question one, if you had to identify just one priority for your campaign running in 2020, what would it be? Uh, making sure that we fix health care and that those with pre-existing conditions are protected. Our question two. So June 11th, the president is coming here for a fundraiser for the state this party. Is breaking news. <laughs> it's been broken. Oh. Uh, will you be in attendance? Uh, depends on where it's at. I've been in attendance before with the president when he's come to Iowa. Uh, question three. So we mentioned Zach Nunn. He hasn't formally said he's going to run here. He's got this listening tour. Why should Republicans not get a new, give a new guy a shot at this? Why should they? I'm not keeping anybody out of this race, but I have a track record of winning this district twice. Uh, delivering for Iowa on key important issues, passing laws that affect Iowans in a positive way. Question four, what kind of job has Cindy Axney done so far? Uh, a lot of expectations, but low deliverables. Uh, question five, uh, Beto O'Rourke went out there and let us watch his dentist do some work on him as he was thinking about running for president. What did you do in your downtime? You had some a few months there to kind of figure out what you wanted to do. What did you do and how did you decide? You know, I may not be like Robert O'Rourke and <laughs> let people cut my hair and go to the dentist, but you can go mushroom hunting with me or fishing. How's that? That's how you made your decision? And, and making, talking to a lot of friends, uh, talking to a lot of people, getting a lot of encouragement, a lot of prayer, a lot of reflection. Morels? Morels. Okay. They're good. Where's your secret spot? Uh, in, a, <laughs> in Iowa. Nice. All right, finally your prediction. Uh, St. Louis Blues in five. Uh, I think they go seven, though, don't they? But they're going to win. Oh, they're going to win it in five? Oh, yeah. Tied it up Thursday night. Wednesday night. I'll take that. All right. Congressman, thanks for My coming My pleasure. Back. Thank you, Safe David. Safe travels out there on the road. Okay. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week for the Insiders.